0: Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast, and I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today is episode 13, and we have Tony Hargraves joining the podcast. Tony is a full-time professional sports and racing trader. He utilizes software to execute trades on sports and racing to put himself in a winning position, regardless of the result of the betting event. Tony shares some of his thoughts, secrets, and tips that he has curated and developed over the years. Which he also freely shares in videos, books, and other resources on his site, thesportstrader.com. As always, you can find us at businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback and potential guests you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy my chat with Tony Hargraves. Today, I'm joined by Tony Hargraves. Tony, thank you very much for joining me.
1: My pleasure, Jake.
0: Tony, you're a professional sports trader. You're based in the UK. Can you take our listeners who aren't aware of what you're up to and some of your work through how you got to where you are today and some of the the history behind your uh, evolution in the betting world?
1: Sure, I've come from a a background of betting, mainly in in Sydney when I was a a kid, betting on the usual stuff us Aussies do of uh, football, cricket and and horse racing, Uh, and then I discovered Betfair in um, 2004, and I had a good look at that and understood that you could back and lay events or horses, and that was really exciting, rather than just being able to bet on something and find out at the end of the event whether you'd won or lost and also you could put in different prices rather than just taking the price the tab or the bookmaker was offering you the way i really got into it was when i moved with my young family to scotland in uh, 2008 i moved over there and ended up in a very remote village in scotland and i sort of had two choices that was chase cows for 12 hours a day for 150 pound a week or become full-time. There wasn't really a lot of other choice. So I took the plunge to to do this full-time. And uh, that's sort of how it started, more out of necessity than, than desire. But, uh, yeah, took it on and, and started doing – uh, trading courses for people after a couple of years because I started putting up videos on YouTube and stuff and people really liked them and said, oh, can you teach me how to do this? Can you show me how to do that? And it became a bit overwhelming that the wife got a bit upset that I was spending more time helping people than I was actually trading. So we turned that into an income and started doing trading courses and I've been doing them ever since. So that's, that's really as simple as as it was, Jake. That's how I got into it.
0: So what was the expertise level of sort of Betfair traders and trading at that time when you were getting involved? Was there a plethora of sort of smart judges out there who were accessing the tools of Betfair or was it pretty pretty bare in the cupboard?
1: It was like the Wild West, Jake. There was nothing. There was no education to help anybody. There was nobody putting videos up, no one showing how Betfair worked. That um, There was very little knowledge of it and, and it still exists to some extent in Australia. Today, when I talk to Australians these days about laying, they've got no concept of of what I'm doing. They're just still focused on backing something and betting on their team to win and they'll wait till the end of it. When I say, well, we'll look, they're they're 10 points in front. Why don't we trade out? I get this blank stare. They still don't comprehend that you can take positions on, on either side of a market, sort of bet on something to happen and against it. And come out with a profit no matter what the outcome I still get blank looks and uh, I find that Americans are the same they they have no concept of trading it's all pure betting so hopefully those two markets will will eventually come into play and I'll be able to educate some people but um, nothing at all back then Jake it was just all learn yourself learn on the job making many mistakes blowing many banks uh, until you finally learn you know best not to do that uh and that's how we we went through the process
0: before we delve into the the trading side and some of the betting and and some of the betfair related volume stuff can you just tell me because a lot of people probably think and i think a lot of the uh twitter accounts and facebook groups and instagram photos that you see of professional sports bettors may paint a different picture is it uh what what is the life of a sports trader like? Are you sitting on yachts with champagne and you know going to private boxes and watching games, or is it a is it a daily grind? Is there a lot of hard work involved?
1: Maybe one in a thousand are doing that, Jake. But for me, and I teach this on the courses, it's no different to any other job. It's um it's very solitary life. Uh, I spend hours of a week here not seeing another soul uh in fact i can go a whole week not seeing anybody that's that's not either one house either side of me uh luckily i talk to people on skype and i communicate with them on twitter but actually seeing people unless you go out to the shops you don't see another soul it's not easier than any other job you know people put in eight nine hours a day into their normal job we do the same thing Um, What it does give you, though, the the great thing about doing this job is it gives you flexibility. So if I want to take an hour off to do anything, I can. If I want to take a whole day off, I can. If I want to work of an evening or if I want to take Sunday off, you know, it's totally flexible and that's the difference. And it's really the only difference for me is rather than have to be somewhere nine to five, Monday to Friday, I can be at my desk any of the seven days or nights that I choose, and I can be away from it any of the day or nights that I choose. So it just gives you great flexibility. But as far as money goes, no, it's it's not a, a lot better than than any other job. Uh, it's not easier than any other job. And so I, I don't have boats sitting around the place or fancy cars. I just drive a normal car and live in a normal house. And um, I'm in a lovely part of the country in Yorkshire. But, you know, I, I couldn't afford to, to live in the middle of London like a lot of people in this business. So, um, no, it's it's not any, any easier than, than a normal job, Jake.
0: So you touched on a little bit about the trading and the betting. Do you want to just take us through in in sort of layman's terms for those who aren't, uh, you know, using Betfair regularly, you know, what is the difference between trading and betting in your mind?
1: Sure. Well, when you look at betting, most people will very easily understand that there's two sides of a transaction. There's usually a bookmaker and a punter. What Betfair does, it allows you to be both at the same time. So, If you are looking at a horse race, and let's just say there's a a horse race with five horses in it, and you're not sure which one's going to win, but you're fairly sure that you know which one can't win, you can just lay that horse. And as long as one of the other four win, you make money. And then another way is you can just back a horse to win, and then you can as long as it wins, you know, you get paid. Being a trader is to be able to back that horse and lay that horse at varying prices. So let's say it's um, 3.5 on on Betfair. I can back it at 3.5 and then lay it at 3.4 and now I make a profit on that horse. And what I can also do is then hedge it. So I can lay a little bit more than I've backed it for, and that will give me a profit across any outcome. So now, it might be five minutes before the race, I've now got a profit on every horse in the race, no matter which one wins. So trading as opposed to betting, is simply taking a position on both sides of a market, being a bookmaker and a punter, and ensuring a positive outcome no matter what the result.
0: So you're a professional sports and horse racing trader, Will you ever have a bet, in inverted commas, or are you simply trading, and that includes, you know, trading or slash betting with bookmakers who are, you know, the typical corporate bookmakers and utilizing those outs? Or are you ever are you ever betting uh, just one side of the market and, and having a, I guess, a, a wager on one of the matches or one of the races?
1: I, I can honestly say I can't remember the last time I just placed a straight bet. Uh, sometimes what you might do if you've got a game where you wanted to back over two and a half goals and you place the the bet before the game and there was two goals in the first 10 minutes, I would probably leave that to run because it's highly likely that I'm going to get that third goal and not need to trade out. Uh, but I have done that in the past and it's ended up being 2-0 and, and lost. So now I just tend to trade out no matter what. If there's two goals in the first 10 minutes, over two and a half goals is going to be around 1.15 anyway. So you're only giving back a very small piece of your uh, profit to ensure that's locked in. But then you don't need to worry about the rest of the game. It's just locked in. So now I'd say 99.9% of my um, Positions now are trades and it's only if something goes very favorably very quickly that I would leave it run as a bet
0: So can you take us through what percentage of the betting events Whether it's sports or racing or other things that you break even or win Is it something that you know you have a high percentage of of break even and wins and and we might get to stop losses soon But is that what you're aiming for? You're essentially trying to break even on your trades or, or win a small amount
1: No, you're never trying to break even. You're trying to win on any trade. Um, If you're getting in a bad position and you can get out of it with a break even, that's great. But as, as far as winning goes, I've now reduced my betting to mainly three things. I do cricket, football and racing. That's pretty well it because I found that when I was doing other sports like tennis, golf, snooker any of the other sports because i used to think oh this is great i can i can trade all day every day do every sport that's on bet on anything that's happening as australians like to do we'd bet on two flies crawling up a wall but um you know I, i found that it was just really chopping into my profits and costing me a lot of time and a lot of my profits so i've just reduced it now to cricket football and the racing i'm successful on all three i don't really have a percentage for you on Um, on which one. I'd say I'm most successful at cricket. That's my best sport. My racing is my bread and butter. So I do a lot of trades on racing, but they're only small. So I might only make 10, 15, 20 pounds per race. But I do a lot of them and I do them most days. And my, my most successful trades are on the football. So they're the biggest financial trades, but I do less of them, if that makes sense. So you end up with the same amount of money, really, on all three. Uh, but they're much smaller on the racing because there's a lot more of them, but they're a lot bigger on the football and a lot less of them.
0: Yep, so there's three you know, different paths to get to the same same end goal. So can you talk about stop loss? Obviously, there's a lot of traders out there who will understand it from a, you know, a market's perspective. How critical is it as a part of your trading strategy to effectively put stop loss in place?
1: Yeah, it's very important that when you go into a trade, you've got a, a good idea in your head of how much you want to get out of it and how much you're prepared to risk to do it. And that's one of the downfalls of a lot of people and why they fail um, is they will quite happily look at taking a profit. So say they they've bet a uh, hundred pounds on a on a. Laying over two and a half goals and the price goes up and they've made 40 pounds they will happily click that button and take that profit and then I'll say to them well At what point are you going to get out and they go? I don't know. I'll decide that when it happens and that's one of the fatal flaws is people not deciding when they will get out Before the event so before I get into a trade Jake I will have an idea in my head of how much I'm prepared to risk which will usually be 5% of my bank on a trade And I'll work out at which point I want to get out and at which point I'm prepared to exit. And then when those points are met either way, you just click the button and get out. And that takes a lot of discipline to do it, which is another reason why a lot of people fail is they just don't have the discipline to get out when in a losing position.
0: So I want to switch a little bit to handicapping. I know I'm not sure what the answer is, but are you... So, for example, a cricket match, are you handicapping the, you know, the batsmen, the bowlers, the the weather, the location, who's winning the toss, all that type of stuff? Do you need to be doing a lot of that work, the statistical analysis, you know, the situational analysis in order to help your trading? Or is your trading strategy purely based on the markets and based on, you know, years of curated knowledge uh, and a trained eye to get to a point where you're able to be a sports trader without actually handicapping the events
1: no you've definitely got to do your research and your analysis and that's a a big part of it Uh, you you can't just open up a market and look at the prices and take a guess if that's value or not you've got to work out you know exactly what's going to happen so you you know you look at a, a, a game there's a game that's about to start now for example Bayern Munich are about to play Arsenal and the over two and a half goals market is currently sitting at 1.34 1.34 which to me as a sports trader looks massively overvalued it, it's way too short and a lot of people have been on twitter this morning saying to me I, i'm laying over two and a half goals because it's too short um you know it, and and we work at, on the analysis we're looking at it it should be around 180 185 and they tend to agree with that so we find that the market seems to have put too high value on on that, and and that's where you look for the areas. You can't just open it and say there will or won't be uh, a certain thing happening. You've got to get value for for your bets. So it's like we know Jake that a coin toss is fifty percent. We know that. So if you look an open bet fair and heads was two point one, you know that you've got a value bet. And if it was one eighty, you'd be crazy to back it because you know it should be even money. And that's what we're looking for. So we're looking to use our experience to analyse how many goals there'd be in a game, what the chances are of certain things happening, and then comparing that to the price in the market to see if we can obtain value. If it's massively overpriced, we'll look to um, back it because it's a good price. And if it's too short, we'll lay it and take the opposite position. Uh, because it's too short, so it doesn't matter which side of the market I'll go. But if that bet was put up at even money, I wouldn't have a bet because there's no value in it. It's it's the correct price. There's no value backing it, no value laying it. So I'm just risking my money for, for no uh, obvious value.
0: So how sharp do you think your handicapping needs to be on the matches? Do you need to be you know, positive expectation value simply on the betting side to be a successful trader or is there a little bit more leeway there, do you think?
1: It's really hard with football. The the markets are now so efficient. There's so many people doing it and the massive Asian bookmakers are doing it. The Asian handicap markets, you find if you went and analysed the last eight years or so of football that the events as they've priced them up happen so close to... What am I trying to say? Um, being a, what I mean by being efficient for those that don't understand is how many times something out of a hundred will happen, and the price being as close to that. So, as a, using the coin toss again for your listeners to understand, we know that over a hundred coin tosses, you wouldn't be surprised if sixty were heads and forty was tails. You know, six and four um, would, would would not be. Too, too bad. But if you did it a thousand times, you'd be shocked if it was 600 and 400. And if you did it a million times, there's no way that it's going to be 600,000 and 400,000. The, the more repetitions you get, the closer you get to the, the price being right. And that's the case with football. The markets are now so efficient um, that There's very rarely errors. But when you get matches like this where you get teams that are from different countries playing in matches that are just like Champions Cup, you can find these mistakes, but you'll you'll unlikely find them in the Premier League. So handicapping's become very hard. I I don't find – no matter how much effort I put into it, I don't find many mistakes in the football markets. But I do in the cricket uh, and and we do in the racing because – With the racing, there's a race every 10 minutes, so people don't have as much time to study them as you normally would. So, um, and and there's not that many people in Asia that are looking at them, but the real smart people that look at football, they they don't often make mistakes. And they've got, you know, you've got big companies like Star Lizard and stuff in London that that spend millions of dollars analyzing this stuff and getting to the right price. So, you know, that when those prices go up, They've put them in and they, they are going to be very close to the correct price.
0: So, how do you handle the fact that these very efficient markets you're talking about? And there might be, you know, EPL matches, for example, where there's very large matched amounts on Betfair. These markets are inherently very efficient. And, like you mentioned with the, the toss of the coin example, you're going to get, uh, you know, outcomes that are pretty close to the, the market odds. In those situations, is it more difficult to get a lot more trading done and a lot more volume in just because it's a more efficient market or is it something yeah. that – sorry, go ahead.
1: No, you're right. I tend to not look so much in the match odds markets now because they are so efficient. So I look in the more exotic markets on those matches. I mean, if you look at Betfair – just on this match today, the International Champions Cup, there's like 50 different markets. You can have, you know, over half a goal, over two and a half, over four and a half. There's there's just so many different markets. So the further down you drill, the less efficient they tend to become. So I might look at um, one of my favourite markets is halftime score. So I, I will tend to just analyse a game and look at the chances of a first-half goal or – a second half goal. And I find teams like Tottenham if you look at Tottenham uh, over the last few years, how many of their matches have a second half goal, it's around 85, 86%. So if you know that and then you look at the half-time price of whatever the score is, let's say it's 1-1 at half-time. If you then go and look at the price of 1-1 at half-time and it's going to be around on average 4.2 to 4.5, but you know that it's an 86% chance of happening, then you've got massive value. And I will lay that nearly every week that they play because I know that if they're going to have a goal 86% of the time, that that means that they won't have a goal 14% of the time. And so the price should should be around, you know, 16, 17. Um, to, to find out what price something should be, you would divide 100 by the chance. So if you divide 100 by 86, then that gives you the price of, of what it should be. And it certainly won't be anywhere near 4.5. So things like that I look for inefficiencies, And you might find teams that have a lot of first-half goals. You find teams that, that score 80%, 90% of their matches have a first-half goal. And then you go and look at the nil-nil halftime score, and you'll find that it's normally 380 to, to 4. Uh, and it should be you know, a a lot higher than that because it's so likely there's going to be a goal. Um, And I I find little inefficiencies there. So that's where I have most of my success on the football, away from the highly efficient match odds and and over two and a half goals markets.
0: I want to get to the odds and, and taking different prices. But before we do, how do you go about handicapping market moves? Are you using certain tools or are there factors or features you can put in place to be able to essentially... Not necessarily guess, but sort of predict which way the market might move, so you can have optimal trading.
1: No, I don't, Jake. But that's I'm very old school. You know, um, the the new breed are now what we call algo traders. They're, they're using algorithms and stuff to 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 do all that. Um, and I think that's going to be the future of of the the bet fair. That the manual traders like me are a bit of a a dying breed. Um, and and we're just you know. The, the algorithms are just too efficient for us and they're just making the markets more efficient. So I see it getting a bit harder over time to do it. But um, no, it's, it's you know handicapping for me is, is I just leave it to the others now and I look for little things that, that I find value in and, and just stick to them. Other than that, I just stick to my horse racing because I find the horse racing extremely simple and I can just pick up money on that race after race and um, leave all the the high-end stuff on the the football handicapping to the the professionals.
0: So it's obviously critical to try and get the most efficient odds for your trading strategy, i.e. the highest price or the lowest price when you're laying. How easy is that to actually execute?
1: Um, Yeah, well, I I use some software that's just linked to the Betfair API. Uh, It's called BetTrader. It's from Racing Traders, and it's got a – a few tools in that that are really good. You can switch it onto a ladder grid, uh, a ladder or a grid, and I put it on ladder view. And what, what it shows you is exactly how much has been matched at each price. And so you can very quickly determine the highest point. Say we're looking at a horse and a horse is trading at around five. I can instantly look at that and see the highest point that it's been at is say seven and the lowest point is four. Well, I know now if that horse is trading at Uh, 4.3 that i've lost the value on it if it was trading at seven and a lowest point of four i don't want to be backing that horse because the value's completely gone out of it and i'm backing at the lowest end of the range however if it was trading at 6.8 and i can see at some point it's been four and the highest it's been is seven i think well i'm getting better value on that horse than the 98 percent of people that have backed it um, because it's at the top of its range, and so that would be a horse that I, if I liked it, I could ha- happily back that. So I, I sort of look at those sort of things, the high point and low point. I call them the resistance points, and I'll look at uh, the highest point that, that they've been matched and, and the lowest, and then I can look at value and say it's trading at around 5.3. It's right in the middle of its range. So y- you can back it if you want to, but you're not getting immense value and if you're laying it, you're not getting the best lay price, but you're not getting the worst either. So it's a 50-50 call which way you want it to go. But, yeah, I, I do use software to to look at um, the highest and lowest points to see if I am getting good or bad value from a price.
0: So speaking about price, what do you need to achieve to win over time? If you're getting what we call top fluck or top fluctuation um, or starting price, what the event the final odds essentially that was taken for that betting event. Is that enough to win over time if you're getting above the starting price or above the top flock?
1: Yeah. See, it's not something that I really keep a record of because I don't bet on them. I'm out before the race is finished. So, you know, I'll look at, say, I back a horse at seven and I trade out of it at six. I now don't care if the horse wins the race or not. So I don't really look at the results and find out. But from a betting perspective, what I know is – Uh, If you can back a horse at, you know, say seven and it officially starts the race at a a starting price of six, then you're going to make money long term. And that's where a lot of people get into trouble with the bookmakers over here. They're, They're too smart. If they're constantly backing horses at eight to one that firm up during the day and start at seven to one then long term they have to make money because if you can back a horse at eight that starts at seven and you do that over a year you're going to have a big year and and that's what they hate that's when you'll get banned in fact we had one account jake where we had eight bets it was with paddy power which are now in in partnership with betfair we had an account with paddy power we had eight bets on that account and all eight bets lost so they got our money eight times and they shut the account and when we said there's been some mistake here we've we've bet with you eight times you've beaten us eight times and you've shut our account what's going on oh you've beat yeah you've beaten the sp Every time. So we know that long term you're gonna kill us. We don't want your business. And they shut us down. So, and that happens weekly. So if you beat the SP, bookmakers will shut you down, win or lose. There's people that have said to me, I'm I'm fifteen hundred pounds behind with my bookmaker and they've shut my account. And that's just because they're they're regularly beating the SP. Um, it just shows that they're smart, so they're backing things that are going to shorten. And if a bookmaker sees you're doing that consistently, your account will be shut very quickly.
0: I wanted to ask about utilizing bookmakers. Obviously, there's certain circumstances where you would like to you know, make a bet, which what you would call a trade, because you've obviously bet or laid the other side. Is it easier to get on if you're a trader in general, or is that situation you mentioned um, and the profiling that takes place? pretty common and it's a very difficult scenario for you
1: there's two people that bookmakers hate they're traders and arbors they they are like poison to them and the reason that you know a lot of people say why does a bookmaker care if you're an arbor and i'll, I'll tell you why let's say william hill um they put up odds in the morning of a, of a horse and they advertise that they're going to go best price eight to one on a horse and all the other things, Ladbrokes, Corals, all all the other Bet365, they're all seven to one. So William Hill will put up eight to one. Well, that's like, you know, a a, a bee going to the beehive. He's just like, yeah, I'll have that. And and the Arbor will just go and smash William Hill for as much as they'll take at eight to one, and that will go off in a few minutes. Um, And they'll get as much as they can on, because they know they can go and lay it back. Uh, on Betfair later and make a profit. So what William Hill will then say is, right, we've taken too much money at 8 to 1, we cut it to 7. So your regular mug punter that sees that ad in the racing post or, or on TV will ring them up and go, oh, I want some of this 8 to 1. And they say, no, sorry, mate, it's gone. Um, you're too late. And they find that so many of their customers are missing out on best prize because of the Arbours coming in and just hammering them early and so, if you're identified as an arbor, your account will be just shut instantly, and they also hate traders because they know that you know you're just taking advantage of their prices they They don't want that, so they'll put limits on it, you know ten pounds per customer and a ten pound bet is no good to a trader or an arbor; it's a complete waste of time. We want to get you know a, a thousand on five thousand on ten thousand on, and they won't take those sort of bets and If you're wanting to put ten thousand on at eight to one. They know that you know you're going to be arbing or, um, or or you're going to be trading it, and they they just don't want your business. They want to keep it for the little mugs that are going to have their two pound, five pound on, and just consistently lose with them.
0: Yep. Okay. Can you take our listeners through the Betfair marketplace? Is is it correct to say that it hovers around 100 and 102 percent? Is that correct?
1: Oh, all the time. I'm looking at the Bayern Bay- Munich Arsenal game now, it's 102.6%. You can go to any horse race uh, and it'll be always be between 101 and 102%. And as soon as it goes in or out of that, uh, there are bots that will just automatically correct it. It, it. it never goes under because it will only go under for like half a second. The bots will just smash it and push it straight back out to 101. And if it goes any higher they'll start backing them all, you know, um, and, and getting them down to, or laying them all, sorry, and getting it back down to 101. So highly efficient, uh, rarely goes outside that. And if it does, it's only for a matter of seconds.
0: So take us through that a little bit because I'm sure a lot of people have seen, uh, you know, a horse racing board, let's say, or a, a sports match where there's an embedded bookmaker percentage up to, you know, 5 10 15% at times. Why is it that the Betfair market must stay efficient? Is it because if it drops under 100 people will back literally every horse, uh knowing that there's a small percentage in there? And why can't it go up to 105 cent 105% for example?
1: Well, that's what I'm saying, the bots will take care of that. The second it goes under 100%, the bots will automatically go and back every outcome um knowing that they 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 can't lose. And if it goes up to above 105 percent, one hundred and ten percent, they, you know, they're um they're going to do the, the opposite and just bring it straight back down. It just never comes out of it because there's so many bots operating on it that um it, it just stays so efficient. That's that's why what the great thing is about Betfair is there's so many people using it. Um and, and you know look, matchbooks the same and, and betdax the same. Exchanges in general are far better than a bookmakers because if you walk into William Hill. And you're looking at the 2.40 race this afternoon, all you can do is back at their prices for as much as they're willing to let you have. So they set the whole tone, whereas with an exchange, the market sets the tone uh, and, and you can't really beat it because there's so many people that are putting up prices, you get the correct price. For horses. I mean, I see horses on Betfair that are 100 to 1, that are 33 with a bookmaker. And the greyhound markets are the biggest rort going. Ladbrook's put up um, greyhound markets at 140%. And we proved that on one of the courses. We went and backed a horse, uh, a dog on Betfair that was 20, and we had five pounds on it. So we got paid £95 when it wins, because, you know, you pay your commission on the exchange, so you pay your 5%. So we backed it for £5 at 20, and the same dog uh, with Ladbrooks came back at 6 to 1. So the person that backed it on Betfair got £95 for their 5 and the person that backed it with Ladbrooks got 30 so that's a 216% difference in return, and that's just how bookmakers rip off people every day on every race because they're, you know, they're betting to 120%, um, 140% on the greyhounds. It's just criminal. So I recommend everyone just uses an exchange because you're going to get better value, better prices, and you'll see what the correct price should be. Uh, yeah. As a, yeah, you know, it, it probably makes sense to you, but a lot of your listeners don't understand that, you know, when they're going into a bookmaker that they're just taking the price that the bookmaker says. Now, imagine if, if you, again, you and I were, were playing heads or tails, and I said, well, yes, Jake, you can have heads, but I'm giving you 180. You've got a choice. You can either bet heads at 180 or you don't bet. Now, you know that most people that go into a bookies are going to have a bet. That's why they're in there. And if I'm offering you 180 and we played that all day, you know that I'm going to end up a mile in front. And that's how bookmakers work. Whereas on Betfair, if you put up 180 on heads or tails, you will not get matched because somebody will put up 199. You can guarantee it. Um, and that's, you know, so you just can't get away with robbing people.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a great explanation for the listeners who might have experience with just bookmakers and not necessarily the markets and the exchanges where it's almost the invisible hand. There's no way for it not to be optimal and efficient because there's people and there's bots out there who are you know guiding the market back to one hundred one percent very 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 quickly. So it's a it's a good insight just to exactly how that works. Sticking with Betfair for a second and the exchange or or any exchange in general legitimate or let's call it legal market manipulation what is your experience or what have you seen uh with betfair or others where there might be some type of let's call it manipulation uh trying to get the price out so that it can be bet elsewhere or through betfair and then the price sort of corrects itself is that something that you see quite often or are that are the pool size is just too big
1: no no i've, I've seen it and I, I i've i've done it i've um I've, I've done it for a professional trader. We, we were working together in, in Sydney and we wanted to exploit how lazy the bookmakers were. Uh, bookmakers have become very, very lazy, Jake, especially in Australia. They just follow Betfair like sheep following around the the guy with the hay bale on the back of the tractor. They just follow it. And what used to be a lot of fun was um, we, we'd get the horse races because they were a bit thin in Australia, and they still are. There's not a lot of liquidity in the Australian markets. And what we'd do is we'd sit in his office there in Sydney and we'd start laying a horse and just putting – bet on bet you know a horse might be sitting at seven well we'd start laying it at seven point four, eight, eight point four, nine, nine. and there's no one on betfair taking the bet so they just see the price going up and the bookmakers will just follow it and they'd go up and up and up and we get this horse up to like 12 to one and these stupid bookmakers would just follow us up as soon as it's 12 to one this guy would ring the bookmaker and say well right i'll i'll have a thousand on it at 12 to one, thanks very much. He'd take the bet, and then bang, we'd remove all the bets from Betfair, drive it straight back down to seven, lay it at seven, and the job's done. We've now backed it with the bookmaker at 12, laid it on Betfair at seven, and you've got yourself a massive position, can't lose no matter what. Um, And I I showed him how I went about doing that. I'm not sure if he's still doing it, but we had a lot of fun doing it and, um, and exploiting their laziness.
0: So how is it to spot that type of scenario if you're not obviously behind it and you're watching the markets? Do you see it every day, every week, or how often can you potentially see that manipulation and and what tools can you use to say, okay, I think this is something that I have to be careful about?
1: Yeah, you'll see it most days on the racing markets. You don't see it on the football or or the cricket so much, but you definitely see it daily on the racing markets. And what you look for is, you know, on an exchange you've got – Three, three main boxes on either side. You've got three back prices and three lay prices that you can see when you're looking at an exchange. And let's say a horse is, is trading at seven. So on the lay side, you'll have seven, 7.2, 7.4. And on the back side, you'll have 6.8, 6.6, and 6.4. What you'll see is let's say someone goes and puts £5,000 in at 7.4. And it might sit there for five or six seconds and then vanish, and then it'll come in again and sit there for a few seconds and then vanish, and so they put it in a third time. And let's say the price goes up to seven point four. As soon as it gets to that price, the money disappears. That is market manipulation. What that guy's trying to do is put false money into the market and give an indication that there's a lot more money to back a horse than there really is. He's trying to drive the price down. So what he What his end game is, is to try and lay this horse at 6.4 or 6.6. So he puts the false money in on the backside to drive the price down. Then he lays it at the lower price. And then what he'll do is the money will vanish and he'll try and drive the price back up to then make it look like there's more money to lay than back, if you know what I mean. And then the price bounces back up and he'll make his exit at that price so you're looking for money that appears for a few seconds and then disappears and it's easy to spot because it'll be way out of sync with the rest of the money that's there there might be you know a thousand at seven there might be 800 pound at 7.2 there might be 600 at 7.4 and then you see a five or ten thousand pound bet come in bang and you think that's just that's odd and then it disappears and that's that's market manipulation at work
0: okay fascinating so when you say it vanishes that person's putting the the bed or the lay in at that price and then they're taking their money out of the exchange or the market so that can't be matched and does it ever get matched in those situations
1: yeah if it gets matched they're they're in a bit of trouble and and some some big punters will try and hurt these people and teach them a lesson they'll just go and and chomp it in one bit and then the guy's got a big problem because he's just going back to horse for five thousand now he's got a lay it back and what what other people do is the market manipulation that i also see uh, happens around what i call crossover points where price increments change you know from 101 to 2 on an exchange it'll go up by one cent increments or 1p increments you know 101 102 103 and then when it gets to 2 it goes up to 2p increments 202 204 and at 3 it'll go up by 5 so 305 310, and so on and it changes again at 4 and at 6 and at 10. When you get these crossover points, what these market manipulators do is let's say a horse is trading at 4 and it just hits 395. They will then drive it down to about 380 375. They'll just keep backing it to try and stop everybody out that's got stop losses sitting in there and then if you know if you're trading these crossover points, they'll they'll try and um, and, and stop you out by just driving it either way through the price. And it only lasts for a few seconds, maybe 10 seconds. So they'll drive it right down to 375, and then it stops, and then it bounces straight back up and goes back up to 4. By that time, everybody stopped out, and they're now sitting on a losing trade. Um, because what you do, if, if you can lay a horse at a crossover point, let's say you lay a horse at 4, Jake, right? If it goes up, which you want it to do, you're then making 10p, for every tick that you correct four, ten, four, twenty, four, thirty. but you're only losing 5p every time you're wrong. So what that means is if it goes up five ticks for you, you make twice as much money as if it goes against you five ticks. And that's why it's very, um, what's the word? Well, they're very happy if they can lay it at those prices. That's that's what you're looking for, those crossover points to sort of lay because if it goes up that five ticks, you're making double what you're losing if it goes against you. So it's a, a very admirable position to get in.
0: Yep. Okay, obviously you're a Betfair expert. I'm certainly not. for those out there like myself who are not experts, can you go through a couple of tips for, I guess, the rest of us? So, for example... Favorites obviously favorites are going to be matched as much or almost more than any other um, horse for example Any tips for trading favorites you can sort of pass on?
1: Yeah, I find trading favorites are the hardest horses to trade so I tend to leave them alone I always look at the top four horses in the market, and I will trade the second, third, and fourth favourite because all the big money is on the favourite and it's harder to get matched. You often find that your bets are stuck in a queue behind a load of other people. But I'm just looking for price moves. I'm happy to trade the second favourite because I know if the favourite goes down, the second favourite has to go up. So rather than try and get in a queue to back the favourite and watch it go down, I will lay the second favourite, and then when it goes down, my one goes up or I'll do it on the third or fourth favourite as, as well. But I stay away from that favourite because, you know, that is where all the big money is. Uh, always got the most money matched on the favourite, and, and it is definitely the hardest to get matched on. You can find you're getting quite anxious sitting behind a big queue of money to get matched, um, and it, it's a bit stressful. So it's easier just to trade the other horses with smaller amounts on them and just watching that price movement.
0: What about some things to avoid for the, the average weekend betfair trader who might be getting involved? Are there some things that they should be avoiding, whether it be, you know, timing of bets, trying, a bet, trying to bet, you know, as late as possible or as early as possible or avoiding derivative markets um, in certain circumstances? There there any things that maybe not actively doing, but sort of staying away from that can sort of enhance, uh, enhance their possibility of winning?
1: Yeah, I think just by having a look at the price history of a, of a horse, if you're going to just be having a bet, that's fine. Not everyone has to be a trader. I mean, if you want to have a bet, you want to have value, so you need to look at the price history of a horse. So it doesn't matter if you open it, you know, five or ten minutes before a race. But I find that especially on Australian markets, um, if you if you're wanting to have a bet on a horse on an exchange, you need to be in the last couple of minutes. Before a race, there's not much liquidity there otherwise. But generally, have a look at where the horse is traded, like we spoke about earlier. Have a look at the range. If a horse is traded between 7 and 4, where is it now? If it's trading at 4.3, I would advise you not to back it because I think long-term, you're going to lose. You've missed the value. People have backed it in. It's come right down, and it's probably below it's optimum price. Whereas if it's at the top at 6.6, 6.8 or even 7, you're getting the best value for that horse. If you've done your analysis and you think it will win. Uh, And it's the same with laying. If you think one horse can't win, you don't want to look at a horse that's drifted and drifted and drifted and think, oh, look at this, a leg's fallen off it. It's now 7 when it was 4 this morning. I'm going to lay it because you're laying at the worst price. You're giving away the best value. And if that horse wins, you've laid it at the worst possible price. And over a long term, that's going to cost you a lot of money. So I think the biggest thing is is the value. Make sure you understand value. Otherwise, you're just randomly betting. If, if you don't know what a value price is, you're basically just guessing.
0: Good advice there. So most of the guests I talk to talk about one of the most critical aspects being money management. Uh, and I guess as a side piece of that the staking plan do you want to just run through maybe take a few minutes to go through what aspects of money management and your staking plan uh you find to be critical to your success
1: yeah i work on a basis of trying to make three percent of my bank per day and that's the when i look at people they they think well that's a bit of a waste of time you know if you've got a hundred pounds you're only trying to make three quid and if you've got a thousand, you're only trying to make 30 because most people, when I grew up, you, you know, you go to the racetrack and you go, well, how much have you got? Oh, $200. How much do you want to make? Oh, if I can double it, I'll be really happy. That's a great day out. Most punters, if they can double their money in a day, that's brilliant. But it's also totally unrealistic. So we work on a plan, Jake, that if you can make 3% of your bank per day, you will double your bank in 24 days. That's the power of compounding. So, you know, it it, it means that just try and make 3% of that bank and then you've got 1,030 and then the next day you try and make 3% of 1,030 and so on. And you work it out that over 24 days you have doubled your bank. And that's how I got started in Scotland. The missus said we needed to make two grand a month. So I put, you know, two grand into Betfair and worked on the 3% per day. And at the end of the month, we'd won the 2,000, take it out, rinse and repeat. And the other side of that, is never risk more than 5% of your bank on any one trade. That's one of the biggest downfalls of people is they're overstaking, they're risking 10, 20, 30% of their bankroll on one bet. And when it goes wrong, they don't have the discipline to exit the trade, they stay in hoping it comes good, Of course, most times it doesn't, and they've blown, you know, 30% of their bank. If you've got a £1,000 and you've just blown 300 of it, that's a a pretty tough emotional blow, and it's going to take quite a while to get that back, and then people find that they start chasing it. Oh, I'll just bet double on the next one, and before they know it, half their bank's gone, then they go on tilt, blow the other half, and they have to reload. So the two best bits of advice I can give your listeners is... Make 3% per day of your bank. You'll double it in 24 days and don't risk more than 5% on any one trade.
0: Awesome. That's great insight. Uh, I'm very grateful for your time, Tony. I have a couple more quick ones before I let you go. What type of analysis or evaluation do you do of your trading and betting and um, do you spend hours and hours scouring through your records and and past performance to try and uh, be a better trader in the future or, or what? What approach do you take to, to sort of analysing uh, what you're doing on a day to day or week to week basis?
1: I definitely recommend keeping records because it will show you how you're travelling and where you're letting yourself down. Um, and I do that on a daily basis. So I've got a spreadsheet where I don't put down every individual trade. I have a spreadsheet with every sport that I, I trade. And so it'll, you know, I'll put it at the end of today, I'll put in any cricket trades, any football trades, and any racing trades but just under the heading so at the end of today there'll be football x amount cricket x amount racing x amount and then you get to see how you're traveling through the the month and then if you you find that you're struggling on on one sport and that's why i got rid of the others because i found that the profits i were making on these three sports were being eroded by the losses on all the other sports, I looked one month on darts and I had 12 trades on darts and I'd lost all 12 of them. And I thought, well, I'm really rubbish at this, so I've just cut it out completely. I've got no clue when it comes to darts, and I was just doing it for, for fun, so it was just crazy. So they're all gone. Um, and and the other the other thing is I use some specialist sites. So I use something for football called Football Form Labs. It's just um, something that it's a subscription. Uh, So if people want to get in touch with me after hearing this, I can get them a a really good deal on that football form labs. And it's just a a service where you log in and it's got 40 leagues around the world. So you've got the A league, the J league, all the premier league. You've got 40 different leagues from all around the world that you can analyze. You can look at, go back as far as you like. All the stats are in there everything you can possibly imagine. So I'll just spend hours looking through that, finding the value bets that I I think that's how I came up with the Tottenham stat before the the second-half goal thing, just going through that and seeing what's happened um, and and using sites like that. And and that's where I find the value and then just simply go and place the bets based on on that value.
0: Yep. No, there's certainly a place for uh, outside resources, absolutely. Normally I ask the guests what resources they sort of plow into and what they consume. But you're an author yourself, aren't you? Do you want to talk about some of your books that you've written?
1: Yeah, well, I I just decided to try and help as many people as I can. And I was just getting so many emails, it became overwhelming. So I just started writing books on it. And I've written six books now. There's one on um, all the strategies I use. There's one on cricket. There's one on football. There's one on pre-race markets there's one on in running racing markets and one on sports trading in general they're all available at um, the uh, sportstrader.com website and they go and have a look at that they can see them all there so every tip and trick that i use are in those books all the sites i use where i get all my information how i analyze games basically everything i do and people have had a go at me and asking well why are you giving that information away you know good traders don't give away their edge well i I don't find that it erodes my edge whatsoever because the more people there are betting on an exchange the better it is if there was only you or me betting on an exchange as soon as one of us loses well that's it it's gone so i've got no problems with another million people coming on to to betfair or matchbook and, and betting with us it doesn't Uh, hurt us at all it helps us so come and learn how to do it Um, and you'll make much more efficient bets than being with a bookmaker because they are robbing you blind and uh, it's better for everybody so yeah don't be afraid to go and and learn and that's the thing Jake it it is learning like don't you, you can't just say I'm going to be a carpenter, go and buy some tools and start building furniture. You've got to learn how to do it. So if people really want to learn how to make money at sports trading, I recommend that they do some research and, and buy some stuff and, and learn how to do it and watch the videos and read the books and see how people have done it uh, to find out the best approach for them.
0: Absolutely. And there's a lot of valuable resources out there and a lot of them are free. So you've got you know videos and content out there that's free Um, I'm sure if people got in touch with you, that you're more than happy to help them along and give them a kickstart. Tony, I want to say thank you very much. I've learned a a heck of a lot just listening to you. You've obviously evolved a fair bit since you discovered Betfair in the early 2000s. And, you know, we touched on, you know, chasing cows in the countryside to, you know, Caribbean cricket. Yeah. do you want to just give everyone your Twitter handle so they can sort of follow you on Twitter? And you mentioned your uh, your website before before we go, just so they can reach out to you if they want to ask any questions or be in touch.
1: Sure. The Twitter handle is at sportstrader underscore au. So there's a picture of me on there. So they'll be able to find who I am. They're welcome to come and ask any questions there. The website is www.thesportstrader.com. Uh, we've got a free youtube site which is just called badger trades youtube you go there you'll see dozens and dozens of, of free videos of me trading and, and what I, I do there um and yeah there's all email addresses contacted anyone can get in touch i'm more than happy to help so if you need to chat to me again down the line jake if you've got any questions from your your listeners come back to me and uh, be happy to do it all again
0: splendid tony thank you very much for your time and all the very best with your uh, your trading and i definitely will uh, catch up with you again soon
1: you're more than welcome, mate. Catch you soon. Bye-bye.